I'm Aaron Armstrong. I'm Pete Moran. And we love to watch. Welcome to the We Love to Watch Spooktober Annual Extravaganza. Pretty good. I think it's the first time I've ever called you Pete. Oh, really? Starting in the, in the opening. <laughs> it's a it's a name that's gone back and forth. I don't really mind either one. It's our thirtieth episode. I feel like it's time to stop being so formal when we <laughs> refer to each other. And by are you saying by episode sixty it'll be like pet? Uh, yep. And, and then, then P. Yeah, it'll be P for the next two slim downs, just based on. <laughs> you get it. Uh, I get it. Yeah, let's. We don't need to dive into it further. And then uh, we'll cancel the show eventually. Yeah, ex- yeah. Then we're then we just become nothing, like our atoms, <laughs> or we just become uh, astral presences, and you don't have to say my name anymore. Uh, I'll just know that you're referring to me. Hello, we love to watch Unit One. <laughs> Hello. Well, we you know, you know, you two. know why I realized maybe I should start calling you Pete is that I did notice in all the promotional materials for this show, you could you could tell who writes which one because when I write them, I write Peter, and when you write them, you write Pete. And after thirty whole weeks of that, I'm like, maybe he prefers to go by Pete. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't really matter. I'm like Pete at Good. work and Pete at co- and when I was in college, and then but like the, my close people call me Peter still because that's what I grew up with. What does your girlfriend call you? Because that's where I want to be in whatever that zone is. That's not appropriate. <laughs> <laughs> uh, fucking idiot. That's what it is. Yeah, that could really take our show down a few notches. <laughs> you saying you get? You saying it'd be much meaner than the way you normally are? Yeah, I, I feel like that would take a toll on me if I just was constantly <laughs> calling you fucking idiot. I don't. I don't have the constitution for just berating you just in casual conversation. Yeah, that would definitely overflow with everyday life too. Like you don't yeah. just you don't just call somebody a fucking idiot all day and then go home and like rub your dog's belly and her sweet like to everybody. Yeah. Well, we're going to dive right into uh, Catch Up on Spooktober because we have a lot to talk about in this episode. Yes. Uh, we're planning to talk about eight different anthology entries from different anthology uh, movies, actually all from different series. Something we decided to do that was very tough because there's a lot of a lot of segments from the Creepshow movies, a lot of segments from the VHS movies especially that are very good, but we limit ourselves to one per series. And, uh, so we're really excited to talk about that stuff. But yeah, so we're going to catch up on Spooktober really quick. And Parents, which I watched for uh, on Friday for Spooktober, and you know who the director of Parents is? Randy Quaid. 
Nope. Bob Balaban? That is correct. <laughs> I thought Randy Quaid was in it for some reason, right? Randy, Yeah, Randy Quaid's in it. You know, just because Randy Quaid's in a movie doesn't mean that he makes it. <laughs> I wonder if he's a writer-director in any regard. I don't know. We could Google it. Nope. Edit this out. Uh, okay. <laughs> yeah, so you liked Parents? I really Bob did, Bob Balaban yeah. directed it. That's so weird. He did. He directed My Boyfriend's Back, which I haven't seen, and then another movie, and that's it, all from the 90s. Uh, and I'll tell you what, he did a fucking fantastic job directing it. It was... It was excellent. I really liked it. It's kind of slight. It's an hour and 20 minutes, and it has a lot of great uh, surreal imagery, but like it works as a horror movie, works as a dark comedy. Absolutely worth your time, Peter. Awesome. Awesome. I'll definitely check it out. Yeah, so I'll go through mine really quick because we do have a lot to talk about today, and a couple that I'm not going to need to because we're going to talk about in the episode proper, which is I saw Tales from the Crypt from 1972, and I saw um, Three Extremes. I loved both of those. We'll be talking about specific entries shortly. Um, but as long as we're also talking about the anthology horror, I also watched Vault of Horror. And I liked that quite a bit as well. I like it just as much as Tales from the Crypt. My entry that I pick is from Tales from the Crypt um, for today. Spoilers. But uh, I like Vault of Horror just as much, which is really rare. Yeah, I, th- I think that you could watch like all 10 of those segments back to back and not it doesn't miss a beat. Yeah, like Creepshow is awesome. Creepshow 2 has Garbage Town. has one great segment and mostly trash. And then Creepshow 3 is completely irredeemable. Um, so usually I'm used to those sort of diminishing returns with those series. So Vault of Horror being so good really put me put me on my ass. Yeah, that's like that's a saying that people say. <laughs> there's, um, there's a really it's that's another thing is that people have a lot of expressions to mean good things that are really bad things. Like knock your socks off. Like what if I like my socks on? Wow, real real dad humor coming from the single guy. <laughs> <laughs> um, what if I like my socks on? <laughs> My feet get cold, dude. So I have a migraine. Did you have a stroke? <laughs> yeah. Yes, but long before we started the show. Okay. Well, then that makes sense. Let's 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 move past this. Um, I don't think yeah, I don't think I don't think this is ripe for anything worthwhile. Keep on trucking. Yeah. Um, that mine ran uh, dry very quickly. All right. So I saw um, Halloween two. The Rob Zombie one, which is another in a law in a line of along with the original Halloween of uh, Rob Zombie movies that I really wanted to like and has some great imagery. And I'm, I'm actually just going to skip ahead because I saw Lords of Salem 2, which I liked more than Halloween 2. It's my second favorite Rob Zombie movie after uh, Devil's Rejects, which I think is perfect. The same my criticism of Halloween 2 and Lords of Salem and his Halloween are the exact same, which is he is an amazing horror visualist he is very good at putting together a scene and knows how to unnerve you he is a terrible storyteller uh and i think the only exception to that that he just just nails it throughout is the devil's reject everything there works but halloween halloween 2 lords of salem even though lords of salem i would put above those two halloween movies he just as like telling a full cohesive story from pacing to everything else he really struggles with and yeah he likes characters he doesn't like stories as much which once i got over that in lords of salem i loved it lords of salem succeeds despite that a lot more but when it doesn't it turns into Halloween 2, which is like some amazing visualizations that I really loved. And then just some scenes that were like, why did you do this? And this doesn't really connect well. It, it felt it felt episodic in a bad way. And mm-hmm. uh, that's kind of how I felt about the first Halloween. 
I am going to watch that later this month, so I'll have to get back to you on that. Yeah, I'm disappointed that you didn't like it as much as Zach does. But then again, Zach likes the uh, likes the Rob Zombie remake better than the John better Parker than the original, movie, which yeah. is like it's not radical and wrong. He also just for no reason just to, just to put his private messages to us on a podcast. He also thinks Dark Star is better than Halloween. <laughs> Which is the most insane opinion. It, it, like, Yeah, that is, uh, you know, I, I, I hate to su- tell someone their opinion is wrong, but like I told him, that is just a factually incorrect opinion. So, you, you know, I, I make pizza every week, right? Oh, like, no, no, I know. Okay, I make pizza every single Friday, if I can. And uh, that would be like someone, you know, when people are polite and they're like, oh my God, this tastes better than the place we would have gone to. And you're, and I'm like, ha ha, thank you so much. And I accept the compliment. That's the sort of compliment that you pay to Dark Star. You're like, oh my God, this is so, this is so good. I can't believe you guys, you scrappy guys managed to make it like that. It's that <laughs> kind of, it, it, it's not quite a backwards compliment, but it's like, I admire what you did with so little. Like, yeah. Yeah. And you can love it. It's okay to love it. That's but fine. More than Halloween. But you can't say it's a better movie than Halloween. Like, Halloween essentially created an entire genre because of how perfect it was. You may not like that template. I mean, it's it's just it's just nonsense. Like, you can't... To use your example, it's like someone, like, watching Within the Woods and thinking that it's better than Evil Dead 2. It's not. Yeah, okay? exactly. Like, you can <laughs> like it more. You'd be like, but it's only 20 minutes, and it shows some scrappy know-how from three buddies in Michigan. Fine. Great. I'm glad you like it more. It's not better than Evil Dead 2. <laughs> no. on, on a, you, yeah, you can like it more. Yeah. Objectively worse. Uh, I just like that we took time to wag the finger uh, at Zach. For a uh, private conversation he had with us. <laughs> it's really, really, wild, first of all, wildly unprofessional. Wildly petty. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty bad. Uh, is, is that all that you watched this month? Oh, you don't want to keep doing this to Zach, who's like our good friend <laughs> and who's done so much for our show, and Sorry. we're just being mean to for no reason? I, I wanted to make sure. I wanted to make sure you got through your list because I totally interrupted you. Oh, okay. Uh, no, so I saw the Purge election year, which is which is fun. Uh, I like it better than I mean, I like uh, the Purge Anarchy. I hate the first one. The first one's a garbage movie. I skipped it altogether. Yeah, once they start figuring out that oh, we can have some fun with this concept or make some allegorical points, you know, they're still fucking just heavy-handed as all shit. Their points in all these movies, but it's still a lot of fun. Uh, taking of Deborah Logan. Which was a very good uh, found footage movie, uh, Housebound, which was a ton of fun. It's on Netflix if you haven't seen it. That's a great. Uh, that's a great like party movie, Housebound. Yeah, it's funny and scary, and the two uh, don't detract from each other. Yeah. Uh, and the last one I watched was uh, Behind the Mask: The Rise of Leslie Vernon. I don't know if you've seen it. I watched it in high school. Yeah. So I would I would actually write right now. I'm at 29 movies. It's the 24th. So I'm feeling really good. I'm definitely going to hit the 31. Unless this migraine kills me, <laughs> in which case, <laughs> famous last words. But uh, perfect for the theme that we're doing today. So I guess I guess I'll I'll be fine with that. Uh, thematic- <laughs> thematically, it'll be good. Be terrible for my daughter. But I would say that uh, behind the mask and demons and the Jonestown documentary are my three favorite so far. I I fucking loved. Uh, behind the mask it was so good you know when when a series has been deconstructed as thoroughly as slasher movies to be able to find a new way to humorously deconstruct it and make it funny and interesting and entertaining throughout that's amazing and they killed it 
Yeah, I I remember really, really liking it, but I don't remember specifics, so this will push me to rewatch it. Basically walking you through how all these little things that you watch in a horror movie and go, oh, come on, that happened. And it walks you through why all those things happen. And it makes it part of the narrative. And it kind of – it's it's great. And then there's a point where it just becomes a straight horror movie and then it nails that aesthetic and tone as well. So with some fun twists. It, re- it really is fantastic. It, it's not a that was interesting. It was this is one of my favorite finds for this Spooktober. Um, I definitely plan to watch it again. And if you have a Shutter subscription, it is available on there. Awesome. Yeah, I'll definitely check that out. All right. What uh, do you got? Uh, 80 more movies. (laughs) No, I slowed down a little bit. Uh, I'm at 41, though. uh, 38 with repeats. Or uh, 38 without repeats. Uh, I watched Who Can Kill a Child? Uh, Quienes Matar a Un Niño. So good. It's a slow start. Um, which kind of made me weary at first because I was like, is this going to be 10 minutes of, you know, child creepery uh, and then, you know, 90 minutes of a couple on vacation? No, it, right off the bat, it sort it imply it, it shows you this documentary footage of all this horrible shit the children have been through. And it sort of sets up this this uh conversation the movie's going to have about, you know, how children get caught in adults' uh, violence and what would happen if children reversed the sort of power dynamics. And the movie is, is brilliant. It's, it creeps the shit out of me. I think it's, uh, it's just a very, very effective movie. Very, very happy with that. Yeah, and someone pointed out to me before I watched it, one of the Dissolve members um, said that it's, it's, it's one of the few horror movies that they could think of where – it's as terrifying as other horror movies, yet takes place entirely in broad daylight. Yep. It's it's scorching heat. Yeah. Which is so, sort of an amazing feat. Like, uh, horror movies are very good at using darkness and shadows, and this one just puts it all out there and still manages to be absolutely terrifying. Yep. I uh, I could I totally agree with that assessment. Uh, quickly, I also watched three three extremes, and I watched Tales from the Dark Side. Uh, I started watching Tales from the Dark Side just to revisit uh, it for tonight, but uh, I put it on, and then I saw Debbie Harry's beautiful face, and I just kept watching. Um, but we'll talk about that a little bit later. And then I watched Inferno, which is uh, Dario Argento's sequel to Suspiria, and the sequel to uh, Angels and Demons. Yes, and also the sequel to Angels and Demons. Um, it is confusing that there's now two movies named Inferno. And a poem. And a, and a poem. And a hell. And a hell. <laughs> and also a Christian place. hell. <laughs> yes. Um, Inferno, okay, so there's a sort of uh, uh, cliche about Italian horror movies that's often true. That I can't pronounce the actors. That you can't names. pronounce any any person involved in the cast crew. Um, no, that there's a there's a cliche about Italian movies that they don't make any sense. Italian horror movies, particularly uh, giallo movies or giallo movies, and this one feels like the most brazen one I've seen because I also watched Tenebra this month, and Tenebra like the 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 logic doesn't quite line up, but it's more or less a cohesive story. Inferno is just like a sequence of events. And if you're comfortable with that sort of dream logic craziness and you just want like a tone poem, sort of uh, beautiful imagery, because this might be next to Suspiria, it might be his most beautiful movie. If you want that, it's everything you could ask for, I think. Okay. Um, highly recommend it. I like it more than Tenebra just because what I watch these movies for is not for plotting. I watch it for imagery and tone and atmospheres and awesome you, music. You might like Halloween too then. 
I might. <laughs> I like Lords. I mean, of Salem I did like it. I like I Lords just, of Salem quite a bit, and that's that matches that definition entirely. Yeah, I really liked Lords of Salem. In case, in case that did not come through, the the last fifteen minutes of that movie, especially, are fantastic. Yeah. Speaking of Bob Balaban, he's also in Altered States, and the last fifteen minutes of uh, uh, Lords of Salem reminds me of Altered States a lot. So. I have not seen Altered States. Uh, Randy Quaid directed that though. <laughs> Um, and then also similar in this sort of plotless horror movies and speaking of Rob Zombie, I watched House of 1000 Corpses, which I watched in high school, didn't like it in high school, and I really liked it this time. It's got some really, really awful, awful editing and uh, photography tricks that I really, really hate. But seeing past that, I really love the core characters they built in. I love how... Uh, it's got this sort of roller coaster energy where you don't, you lit- they say that about like Transformers movies, but like it actually has like roller coaster energy. Like I don't know what's around the next corner, and the last act is fucking insane, like absolutely crazy. And watching it again, I forgot how crazy the last act is. So I, I recommend House One Thousand Corpses. Uh, you will be annoyed by the editing techniques, and you will be annoyed by a lot of the photography. But like I said. Rob Zombie just cares about characters. So if you like these this assorted goofball characters, like you'll you'll be having a good time. Yeah, I mean the the only two I've left are 31 and House of a Thousand Corpses. I don't know if I'll get to both, but I was planning on it. Yeah, I'll probably watch 31 next next Spooktober because that is another obviously that's another Halloween themed. Almost all of his movies take place around Halloween it feels like. Um except Music of the Heart. Except Music of the Heart. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't have anything to do with that but it, yeah. I, as far as i know it doesn't yeah, take place at halloween except for his El- elvis biopic biopic um, <laughs> did biopic? you rhyme biopic with myopic yes <laughs> wait you call it biopic yeah i call it biopic but the pick is the important part biopic it's like a pick yeah biology biopic got it um Bi- biopic <laughs> Can we can we can we establish a one eight hundred number? Because I'm curious <laughs> how people are pronouncing that. I don't have much of a leg to stand on for, so I'm not going to put my foot down and say you fucking idiot with your pronunciation on this because I've probably been wrong at least ninety percent of the pronunciation arguments that we've had. This might be the first one you win because for years I pronounced synopsis symposis. Because I had never heard someone say the word out loud. See, I think that happens all the time with with. I, so I, it's it's fair. I'm not actually like you. It's an internet idiots. problem. Yeah, it's it's people that read and don't have friends problem. <laughs> <laughs> and then That'll we go it. we go to places and we try to use the big words that we read in books. And people are like, what are you talking about? <laughs> Wrong. <laughs> yeah, that is that is wildly incorrect. <laughs> yeah, I I, uh, I have plenty of words just rolling around in my head that people have told me are wrong. And uh, yeah. that's the first that's the first sign of getting older is when you're like, no, I like my way better. Yeah, fuck it. <laughs> <laughs> what's your fa- what's your favorite film genera? What? <laughs> Runs away crying, never talks about movies again yeah. with anyone. I did yeah, think it was favorite? Genera. I thought what's it was Genera. What's your favorite film, Garnieri? Uh, I'll tell you what, it's not. <laughs> nor. <laughs> film Nor. Film Nor. Film Nora. It's n- it. neither here nor there.
That's a Tom Sharpling joke that I still no, I, delete that. Sure. Out. <laughs> sure. Um, Maybe next time steal a funny one. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll, uh, I'll throw out another one in this sort of vein. Uh, New York Ripper by Fulci. Oh, okay. This is, the, this is the first Fulci movie that I felt like truly challenged me because it is full of sexual violence, not even necessarily rape, but like there's rape also in it. Um, but uh, sexual violence of all, all manner in it. Um, there's long extended scenes of, of sex happening and it's just a very, very challenging movie. And the violence is really, really grim and feels in certain scenes feels real despite how surreal and strange the movie is. And I just like Fulci more in supernatural mode. I, I didn't really love New York Ripper, though I did like it for it being the first movie this month that really threw me off and really made me uncomfortable. And then uh, I watched Bride of Frankenstein, which I loved, not as much as the original, but I loved, especially for how modern its craziness feels. Bride of Frankenstein is not the sort of staid, boring movie that one might expect from a Frankenstein sequel made to basically cash in on the original. It's not the most original choice, but it's definitely my favorite of the 30s universal horror monster movies. Awesome. Yeah, I, I'm definitely going to rewatch it. That's the one this month that I've been like, oh, I need to rebuy that or I need to buy that so I can actually like really, really rewatch it because the, the pieces of it were all very interesting, but I just didn't know how it all fit together. Um, not in terms of like plot, but in terms of just like how do I feel about this as a cohesive movie? Because I loved every piece of it, even the weird metatextual frame. And I normally hate framing devices in movies, especially super contrived ones. Yeah, and frames. All of your movie posters are just tacked on the wall. Yeah, sticky tack, thumbtacks. College dorm style. <laughs> it's uh, it's a hideous display. My room looks like uh, just cheese with all the holes in it. Guys, I'm edgy. Look at that fear and loathing in Las Vegas. It's about drugs. <laughs> and guess what? The poster? It's a little, it's a little uh, slanted. I don't want to hang it up, you know. Yeah, you got you to gotta angle them. Yeah, I wasn't square on the hey. wall because I'm not a square. Yeah. Hey, check out this one. Respect the saints. <laughs> Wait, hold on. I, I just need to say this right now for our audience. I frame all my movie posters. Okay. My wife won't let me frame or put them up anywhere. That so sucks. mine are rolled up in a closet. What about the basement? Actually, my wife and I have never talked about it. <laughs> that's that's going to be a great conversation because you should definitely find uh, some that you want in the basement. Yeah. Everyone's got to respect the saints. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that, that one will be up. with If you had a Boondock Saints poster, it would have to be up with, with uh, Sticky Tack. A friend yeah. Boondock Saints poster would just boggle the mind. Uh, yeah, I'm going to put it up and then, like, get the tattoos down my arm and say, whatever, Veritas, and I'm a douchebag. Yeah. <laughs> That'd be awesome if Troy Duffy got, um, I I'm a moron in Latin <laughs> on those guys' hands, <laughs> like, knowing someday morons would get them tattooed. Yeah, and that morons wouldn't look it up. Yeah, exactly. Or know Latin. Yeah. I want to I let all the listeners know that prior to recording this episode... Peter and I exchanged messages basically to the effect of we have eight shorts to do. We need to keep on track. And we just spent 15 minutes talking about Boondock Saints. <laughs> All right. So I watched Ringu. And <laughs> Ringu is really, really amazing. Ringu is much better than you'd expect. And it has it and the ring stand as their own sort of movies. Uh, even though the structure is very, very similar. Uh, it stands as their own movies. They have their own scares. The tape is actually uh, kind of different. I think the ring cuts out some of the strangeness of Ringu. So just depends on what your preference is. 
But yeah, I, I think even if you you don't love The Ring or you do love The Ring, I think Ringu is a good movie to check out. And I know that that movie is uh, probably something a lot of people watched like in high school. If you haven't seen it, see it. I, would put, I put it off for a decade because I just assumed I'd seen the remake, so I was fine. I haven't seen it. I I didn't like The Ring when it came out, but I don't think that's The Ring's fault. I also want to rewatch that because for some, it was 2002, again, sophomore year in college, and I was feeling very ungenerous towards mainstream PG-13 horror movies that I felt like were taking over. So every single one of them that became popular, I was like, fuck this. I'm so sick of PG-13 horror. So uh, whatever my feelings of that movie, it was not. It was a 19-year-old asshole's opinion who uh, didn't like the way that horror was going. And uh, so I need to rewatch that again at some point because I've heard it's very good. So yeah, so uh, let's, before we before we start talking about the anthology movies, which we will be doing on this episode, I swear to God, what do you normally do on Halloween, Peter? Because this is a Halloween episode. This is getting released on Halloween. Yeah, what do you like to do? Like now you're, you're ripe old age of 25 or 6? Yeah, I'm, I'm 25. The son of a bitch. The thing that's the thing that uh, kind of stinks about getting older, moving to an apartment, is that like I would love to just be able to have friends over and have trick or treat trick or treaters over. But like, trick or treaters don't go up to the third floor of an apartment complex, even though that would probably be way scarier than anything else they'll run into. But yeah. and friends don't come over to your house. Yeah, friends don't even come over. That's three floors. That's a lot of walking to face your uh, bodily collapse. I assume um, all your friendships are Skype-based. <laughs> yes. We just talk. I, I just yell from the top of the stairs. Cause I'm not going down either. I would love – in high school, I we would have friends over and watch horror movies and probably drink a little. And it, w- it was like – it sort of became a thing. Like we would come to my house around Halloween and or on Halloween and, and you know – uh, drink and watch horror movies and we would usually watch party like style horror movies like horror comedies like slither uh return of the living dead house party three house party three uh <laughs> evil dead two uh recently trick-or-treat uh not in high school though uh but we would that was what we wanted to do so now that i'm older that's exactly what i want to do until we have like a house and i can start having trick-or-treaters again is uh i just like to be somewhere watching horror movies with my friends. It's like what Halloween is for me. That is what I like to do too. I like to, um, the last few years I've had the chance to have trick or treaters, uh, come over, which is always a lot of fun. And I like to, I like to not just watch horror movies, but I don't like to watch new horror movies. I like to do the, some of my favorites. Like if I had a top 25, perfect chance to rotate those in. I think two years ago I watched Dawn of the Dead and, uh, The Shining. And last year I watched uh, Evil Dead 2, Trick or Treat, and Nightmare on Elm Street. Um, I don't know what I've planned yet for uh, for this Halloween, but I'm sure I'm going to go through that list of find some great horror movies I haven't seen in a couple years that are some of my favorites and, and, and watch and watch those. This year's extra exciting, though, because my daughter is old enough now that we are going to take her trick or treating around the neighborhood for the first time. That's awesome, dude. Yep. So we even like we picked out a warmer costume because we do live in the upper Midwest, even though I think it's going to be, you know, probably like 40s or 50s. Nothing, nothing like when I was a kid and like my Ninja Turtle outfit was covered by a very heavy parka. And <laughs> but, you know, global warming has really made made my daughter's Halloween's much more comfortable. <laughs> uh, it'll also be why she can't have kids of her own, but <laughs> much, much better Halloween's for her. 
that yeah that's uh that's a thing that's as i i get older um i realize that i like if i am dressing up for halloween the first move is what can i wear that's a full body suit yep uh anyway no so yeah so i'm taking i'm taking my daughter out this year uh my wife too uh yeah she's gonna be a care bear because it was the warmest she doesn't even watch care bears but it was really warm and she likes she likes bears and it's pink so she's already tried it on multiple times. She's already talking about her Halloween costume. She's she's psyched. It's gonna be exciting because you know that's a that's a big for. I used to love Halloween as a kid. Uh, still love it now, obviously. And yeah, now I get to hopefully inundate my daughter with uh, Halloween, and then like you know eventually I'll start doing. She's still only two, almost two and a half. But then I'll be like kids horror, and then pretty soon i don't know i guess i'll be watching other horror movies with her i didn't have an ending for that yeah eventually she'll want to go on her go out on her own and then you'll it'll be similar to before except for you'll have to stay up until she comes home yeah, and get mad at her for enjoying halloween too much yeah uh, <laughs> uh, no but she she already puts she puts blankets on her head and says she's a ghost uh except she walks around going moo instead of <laughs> boo and my attempts to correct her have resulted in me getting condescended to where she will take off the sheet and say it's moo <laughs> what a jerk yeah i know yeah so uh i'm like fine i guess it's moo for you you're gonna look like such a fucking idiot someday but good luck good luck good luck scaring people sound like a cow with a sheet on its head (laughs) i don't know Uh, a uh a ghost cow would be pretty spooky disagree anyway (laughs) all right so let's get into it let's start talking about uh some segments from horror anthologies yeah let's do it dude You unlock this door with the key of imagination. Beyond it is another dimension. A dimension of sound. A dimension of sight. A dimension of mind. You're moving into a land of both shadow and substance, of things and ideas. You've just crossed over into the Twilight Zone. All right, I'm excited. Uh, So we've run out of time, so... The following eight shorts are good. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. Um, yeah, so I think I should stress right here. We're kind of... The, the horror anthologies are a subgenre of horror that's been around for... Uh, I think the, the earliest one is like 1920. It's just a collection of, of short horror stories. And one of the reasons I love it is because it gets to the, the meat of things. So I feel like we should get to the meat of things pretty quickly because uh, that's how that's how anthologies work. They, they're sort of like a, the, a good allegory I've heard is it's sort of like a campfire story. You don't sit and tell a 90-minute story to your friends. You tell a 15, 20-minute story to your friends and then you move on to the next one. And... Some anthologies have different directors, some have all the same director, but regardless, I think they work best when they're kind of diverse. I actually don't look for any sort of connective tissue. Do you look for much connective tissue in these these movies? I, I don't look for it, but I like it when they find one that works. I, I think Southbound is one that I think it works really well. It has a really Trick nice framing device. Trick or Treat just is amazing because it all it all makes it feel like it's in this small town and it's this weird little universe and that actually matters. Yeah, but even like the Tales of the Crypt and the Vaults of Horror where it's just everyone tells their story and then there's a little stinger at the end. Like I don't – I'm not saying it's necessary. Like the Three Extremes is fine just saying here's three short films that are scary and all that stuff. Like that's fine too. But I – but I uh, yeah, I don't mind when they have a little bit of connective – 
little bit of connective tissue is fine. But, but I'll tell you, like, like the VHS ones are, like, my opinion of ones that are, for the most part, a huge waste of time. Yeah, I don't like the VHS one. I think that the worst part of – I think Viral is a big piece of shit movie that has, like, one – that is all – it's all conceptually good, but almost none of the segments are actually good. But I haven't the, seen that one. The, all three of them, I would agree. All three of them have these weird framing devices that I think would work better if it was just static – tape title static tape title because nobody likes the frames of these movies and i hate frame i hate frames anyway so yeah that's not a clever one but but there again if, if you can figure out a way to make them work that's not too distracting and does some some little like tie it up in a bow you know it can be done well so but uh, yeah and before we get into it i kind of want to talk about just two two minutes about why i really like anthology horror movies and that's basically because again this is going to sound super obvious not not all stories are worthy of a 90 minute treatment you know the reason why most horror movies are short to begin with that's something when you do these spooktober things you realize how much easier it is to get in like 29 or 31 horror movies than it is like 31 period dramas because you can easily get if you end up with a free night you can get a couple in in a night because there's not that many that are over 90 minutes i think it's because like the the way that they tell stories which is some some way to inspire fear is hard to sustain for a long period of time there are some movies that do it fantastically in general you're trying to add some twists make people scared and then get out there's so many great concepts for just whether really scary in the moment or frightening to think about that would not stand the test of a 70 minute or a 90 minute movie so the fact that they are they have this kind of like venue that's been established for horror films especially it's really the only genre i'm not saying there's not other short film movies there are but horror is the one where it's the most common and it allows all these concepts that would never ever work as full stories and let you have 20 minutes with them 40 minutes with them and that really is amazing in one of my favorite genres of movies they found this way to make this like a normal part of the way that they tell their stories i agree entirely and i think it pushes films to be efficient in their storytelling it avoids double dipping which is what i call it when a movie establishes the same thing twice about a character so you call it double dipping when a movie establishes the same thing twice about a character (laughs) yes aaron (laughs) Um, and I think that I think that anthology movies kind of help um, skip over that because they they have to be efficient with their time. They have to if they're going to have memorable characters, you're going to know who those characters are in five, ten minutes. Um, and if it's and, shitty, you're done with it in 20 minutes. Yes. Yes. Don't let me get to uh, schmaltzy here, but it's sort of like eating like Halloween candy where, you know, you could eat something chocolatey and then something sour and something sweet like there's. You can have a segment that's all really, really funny, and then you can have a segment that's really just, like, gory and is going for visceral stuff. And the, the segments can all kind of gel together because you get a little reset. And it, it's a fan- – I think it's it reminds me of Halloween, and I think it was appropriate for this month because the experience of just sort of getting a, a plethora, a cornucopia of all sorts of little horror stories all at once really efficiently is sort of what Halloween's all about, where it's it's sort of a celebration of, of things that frighten us and the darker side of, of humanity and, and how you can find entertainment in that. Um, yeah. 
And every once in a while, you get a toothbrush, and you're like, I'm just not going to go to that house again. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. Like, I'm not going to not go trick-or-treating. I'm just going to skip the thing I didn't like, and that's not going to take away from the enjoyment. Exactly. Uh, I think that we what we wanted to do was highlight segments, whether we like the movie or not, um, highlight segments from uh, different anthology movies that we think show off the genre and maybe even build our own sort of anthology movie out of all of them. A best of, if you will. And uh, yeah, with that said. Uh, yeah, let's get going. Yeah. So let's let's kick it off with, with what I would call the best opening segment of any anthology horror movie and that is the opening from the twilight zone movie if you haven't seen it 10 seconds quickly it's basically dan Aykroyd and albert brooks driving down a road for about seven minutes first singing some credence clearwater revival and then i don't know why didn't you say ccr um yeah we're, we're short in time here dude yeah i know okay so let's definitely not say credence clearwater revival and say ccr got it clarified so, yeah, they're driving, they're singing some CCR, and then their tape breaks and they start humming some television show themes and then eventually start talking about Twilight Zone episodes, which is kind of the perfect meta intro to the movie. They're talking about what scares them, and eventually Dan Aykroyd asks Al Brooks to pull over, says, do you want to see something really scary? Turns around and he's a weird, like, white zombie werewolf creature, some kind of weird cross between the two, and eats Albert Brooks and the, the camera pans up to the Twilight Zone theme. I saw this. I think this is far and away the best segment of the Twilight Zone movie, which is absolutely. And this one is this uh, the the wraparound is directed by John Landis, if I'm not mistaken, right? Is it really a wraparound? There, you know what I mean. The the intro, the, the next segment. Yeah. So the the Twilight Zone. I believe that this segment is directed by John Landis, which most people direct or most people think of the uh, the segment. Involving uh, Vietnam, where Vic Morrow and two children were killed because of John Landis's negligence on the set. When people think of this movie, they only think of the uh, three horrible deaths that happened on the set. Uh, but I think that this is the best segment out of all of them. Um, not to imply that somehow real deaths make the segment better or worse. I don't know. Um, but it's uh, it's great because it's these two goofballs and you're just like, oh, this is going to be, these guys are going to get into some hijinks. You don't know that this is a five minute segment. This is the show. This is their, this is the whole thing. And when it's over, you're like, oh, now I get it. This is a great example of all build and then one final rug pulling moment and then nothing else to com- to comment on it. And actually, so this is going to get into a little personal, but like the first when I was in uh, college and we had to make a minute long short film for a film class I was taking on like eight millimeter. I don't know if it was like somewhere in the back of my head that I wanted to do a Twilight Zone opening, but my idea for a one minute silent short film was just someone like getting ready for bed, brushing their teeth, like going through the whole motions of what you do right before you go to sleep and then walking up to their bed and then a hand grabs them underneath the bed and pulls them under and then blood spits out and that's the end. I I don't know if it was partially like somewhere subconsciously inspired by this opening but i think it must have been because this is that perfect we're gonna we're gonna just talk about stuff and we're not gonna give you any necessarily you're not gonna be ready for the surprise and then the surprise is gonna happen and we're not gonna give you any time to process it before we move on yeah it's and another way to point it is like if we're referring to this era of comedy the dan Aykroyds, the albert brooks's 
one of the things that stood them out, and it's hard to remember in a modern context, is they weren't really anti-comedians, but they did, um, they weren't doing sort of Catskills style, um, you know, classic jokes. And, but this is kind of a SNL style where you're kind of being set up for something, you're kind of being set up for something, and then you just get totally blindsided. Yeah. Which in, in its own way is kind of a classic misdirection joke, but, uh, the sort of viciousness and quickness of it is so modern. Uh, and I love I, I love that about it. I jump. I still remember watching it for the first time, and I jumped out of my seat. It's so vicious. It's got that John Landis. I love. Um, everybody loves this movie, but American Werewolf in London. But it's got that sort of John Va- John Landis viciousness, where like when the thing strikes, it's tearing out throats. It's going for you, not playing around with you. It also does something like I feel like meta horror was much less prevalent when this movie came out. It feels way more prevalent nowadays. Also, one thing that they do very well was once they started talking about the Twilight Zone, both of these characters knew about the Twilight Zone. So at that point, I feel like, you know, you can almost breathe a sigh of relief. There's nothing that's going to happen to these two characters in the Twilight Zone movie because they know about the Twilight Zone. They're spectators just like us. They are not in any immediate danger, just like us audience members. So when it turns around and something bad can befall people that are, in theory, as safe as we are, as in-the-know people, that's a great way to unsettle your audience. And you're assuming your audience is a Twilight Zone fan and with that, which is really smart. Uh, and I, I, that's also part of the misdirection, I think, intentionally or not, is that you might be expecting these two guys are just going to be in the car and telling each other old spooky Twilight Zone stories. And that's going to be the frame. Uh, if you think if you already know this is going to be an anthology movie, you might have yep. expected that these guys are going to be the ones telling you because they're already talking about Twilight Zone episodes. Like these guys are going to be the ones telling you what the movie's all about, and the movie just basically throws that away, which is pretty pretty clever. That is what I thought. I because they started referring to episodes that they like, and I kind of thought it was going to be like, oh, you remember to serve man, and then the camera pans up, and now we get a new interpretation of to serve man, and it doesn't do that. It sets up that expectation that these are going to be our storytellers throughout the movie, and then it takes them away in, like, perfect mini Twilight Zone fashion. Yeah. Because that's what Twilight Zone is. It's it's all twist. Yep. And it's, uh, it, yeah, it, it perfectly, it works perfectly for me on every single level. I think it's a perfectly calibrated little, little segment. And I wish that, sorry, there's a movie called ABCs of Death that has very, very short, it's an anthology horror movie. And I would like maybe five of the segments, maybe 10 of the segments. It, this really gives those movies a run for their money just to just be like, hey, this is something you can do in whatever five, 10 minutes. And it's, it's perfectly effective. It's it's funny. It's scary. It's everything that you would you would want out of a little a little segment to kick off your movie and also keep you on your toes because something might not necessarily just jump scares, but something might uh, throw you off. I'm not surprised it's difficult to do seven minute horror because you basically just need to have one concept or one twist. You can kind of get to know the characters, but there really just needs to be like a plot point A to point B, and if that's strong. It's going to work. If not, it's going to be terrible. So another movie that I wanted to talk about today is uh, Trick or Treat. And what you're talking about with the sort of opening shock 
I think that Trick or Treat is maybe my favorite anthology movie of all time. And even it tries to pull off a sort of start the movie off with a quick little bit of bloodletting to keep you on your toes uh, with the character from the segment that I want to talk about. And I don't think it works as well because um, there's not as much misdirection and there's a lot of anticipation going on. But it, it, the opening segment of Trick or Treat it just features a woman who hates Halloween and she takes down all the, the decorations as fast as possible. And um, then she gets murdered for it from uh, Sam, uh, which is the uh, the little pumpkin head little boy, the star of the segment that I'll talk about in just a second. Sam decides to get vengeance on her and it, it's a good little story by itself, but it's not as much of a bang punch as the Twilight Zone opening. The real segment that I want to talk about in Trick or Treat is Meet Sam, which is Trick or Treat sort of takes place all in the same sort of region, and in this case, specifically a small town, and all these characters sort of uh, run into one another. They all kind of know each other, and they might actually run into each other and end each other's segments. <laughs> um, and so we see Sam, we see some, uh, some, some craziness going on in the first segment, and we don't see what's actually going on until we get to actual segment which is at the very end of the movie, Sam is terrorizing Brian Cox, who's this like curmudgeon old man who also hates Halloween. And Sam is this pumpkin-headed little monster. Basically, this, this little kid creeper freaking out this curmudgeon old man and trying to get him to embrace Halloween and, you know, stop being the scary figure in his neighborhood because he's not anymore. Sam is now, Sam or the other monsters in the town are now the real monsters and he's just a, a cranky old man. So, confession, uh, I thought you wanted to talk about Meet Dave, the Eddie Murphy vehicle from the late 2000s. We can talk about that. That's terrifying. <laughs> um, yeah, giant Eddie Murphy walking around. <laughs> no one's seen Meet Dave. No one knows what that's about. That Eddie Murphy's still getting roles and uh, Gina Davis is not. Yeah, terrifying. Both um, of them, both of them the, probably haven't had a hit in as long as each other, and uh, yeah. he's still working. Well, I think Norbit was a hit. Yeah. To be fair, so Trick or Treat is also probably my overall favorite anthology movie. I absolutely love it. Great, great time. It's eighty minutes long. Uh, every segment works really well. And then, as as we talked about, something that's rare for a anthology horror movie. Uh, not necessary, but rare to be done this well, is it kind of is also more than the sum of its parts, where it feels really interconnected and it feels of a piece with each other. So it kind of establishes a tone and then just kind of devolves into these stories. But I really do like Meet Sam. I am going to say this is the only one I disagree with you on. Um, I like the principle a little bit more. The principle is hilarious. It's yeah. a really great one. But we'll we'll save that for hopefully future a future episode where we just talk about this wonderful movie. We're actually going to be doing the other Michael Doherty movie in uh, in December with Krampus. So I'm yeah, super excited about that. Yep. Yeah. So this is great. I also like it because it's kind of like it's it's a home invasion movie where the spirit of Halloween is the invader. It's the strangers with the holiday cheer that's coming and attacking. Yeah. So, uh, like I, I mentioned, he's Brian Cox plays this cranky old dude. By the end of the segment, he's been, uh, you could say reduced, but he's been so beaten down by his, his uh, moment with Sam uh, where he uh, is handing out candy again. Uh, he's, yep. he's like he's, he's like uh, t- taking care of trick-or-treaters and stuff and it's it's a great way for the movie to end to have just this like 
not not necessarily kill this guy, but just to have him be horribly beaten down from the inside because he knows that he can't beat the spirit of Halloween no matter how hard he tries. He tries to kill it with a shotgun and its big pulpy head just comes back and <laughs> just it reassembles. It looks very xenomorphic. His like once his once his burlap sack is off his face, like it really is like a combination between a pumpkin and a xenomorph. I, that I totally dropped the ball. I didn't mention that he was a little sack boy for for the opening part of the segment until he gets his little his his uh, hat off and you can see his little pumpkin head. Yeah, people just think he's a kid in a really yeah. shitty Halloween costume. Yeah, like they probably are just not that mean to him because they assume he's like a poor kid because he has a literally just has a burlap sack for a costume. Yeah. Um, and and this is the end of the this is the last segment of the movie. So you've seen him throughout like every story. All of the the kind of connective tissue segments as well, he usually shows up in. So when he's finally re- – you, you keep wondering what's under this sack. He's on the posters. This legitimately terrifying, like, pumpkin xenomorph. It's a great reveal as, like, an arc to the whole movie as well. Yeah, it's a great little slasher story um, that manages to be funny because of how, how – intense it is and how the, the old man is just constantly getting his ass beat trying to kill this thing <laughs> it's got evil dead 2 vibes where it's like funny and scary at the same moments um, yeah he even does that you gotta be shitting me when it starts like reassembling itself yeah the pumpkin seeds yeah it's 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 a fantastic little segment and there's not a whole lot to say it's just a visceral little s- slasher horror moment and it, it it caps the movie nicely because the first segment shows you um what sam's all about sam is, is the halloween spirit and he's trying to enforce that on people and he will so will do so violently so yeah that's that's what i gotta say on trick-or-treat I, I want to mention one other thing, which is I also think this is the the creepiest segment of the entire movie. There's two moments especially that are get under your skin unnerving, at least to me, which is when he uh, has someone ring the doorbell and opens the door and now there's jack-o'-lanterns everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> which is both funny, but also like bone chilling in how – because it really is to to the audience, it's like a very quick cut. It's there's nothing out there. Close the door, open the door. And now there's jack o' lanterns everywhere. And also something I've, I'm finding out about myself. You know what's uh, actually really unnerving to me is different font size writing on walls in yeah. bad penmanship. Because <laughs> it's not it's not the only movie that does that. But when he goes up to his bedroom and turns on the light, and it's you know. Uh, trick or treat and other Halloween related sayings in giant font and small font. It's like, oh, that is that's some creepy shit. It's, it's an inverse of what kids normally do, which is they steal jack o' lanterns and smash them. It's sort of a chi- it's childish in a way, but it's in a way that kids would never do that. Like no kids would spend hours carving jack o' lanterns and then just abandon them. No, and no kid would. I mean, there's a literal punishment for kids where they have to write something on, like, a board many times over. Yeah, So no exactly. kid would then, for fun, write trick-or-treat. But there is something about how there's, like, no spaces left. Something about filling up every little inch of no matter. So you have to shrink the size or raise the size of the letters. I don't know. It sounds so stupid saying it. As I'm, as I'm like, saying, man, different fonts. Well, it's got no. It's got it's got a madman's logic to it, right? Like uh, it, it wasn't. Oh, there's a spot here. I'm gonna I'm gonna get it here too. Oh, okay. I'm gonna do a big one here, and then oh, I can fit one in between the H. Yeah, 
Yeah, do you? Because yeah, right. it makes you ask questions. Because it's like, is it's like, did he write all the big ones first and then fill in the gaps? Did he write it start in one corner, write it big, and then get kind of uninspired by the idea of trick or treat? So he wrote it kind of small, and then he and then he was like, oh shit, wait, I love Halloween. I'm doing this to this crazy old man, and then made it big again. Like, what? What's his logic? Yeah, one of them's for a good time call, which is a weird <laughs> thing. Um, the ultimate prank. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So moving on. Uh, next thing I want to talk about is a great example of a horror movie short where it's the cream of the crop. Like the rest of the movie's garbage. But this one is a fucking great horror short that is kind of stuck in uh, in between some kind of nonsense segments, which is The Raft from Creepshow 2, which I uh, – Creepshow 1, a lot of great segments. The entire movie is essentially worth your time. But if we're talking best creep show short of all time, I think it's this one. I agree. Uh, this is one of the weird moments where Aaron and I are completely aligned, uh, where for in- completely independently we discover that – this was the one Creepshow segment that had stood out to us. And I, 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 when I watched Creepshow 2, I was just looking for ways to fill up uh, a Spooktober lineup. And I was just like, okay, more anthology movies. I heard this is terrible. but And at first, it, it is kind of terrible. The old Indian one is really, oh really God, bad. It's so bad. Yeah, and I watch this now every year, but I end up watching it on like YouTube or whatever. So I feel weird buying the DVD that I'm only going to watch one segment from. <laughs> Yeah, but yeah, the 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 raft is essentially about a group of uh, campers or whatever, not campers, a bunch of high school kids that are. I think they're rafters. They they all they talk about is the raft out there they go swimming to. Yeah, exactly. There's not they're not they're not really out there for seeming any other reason. And they're yeah they're going to swim out to the raft as they uh, try and make their way out there. Um, they discover this sort of sludge monster, which on one hand is a very cheap effect. On the other hand, it is definitely one of the scariest movie monsters I've ever encountered. Yeah, because at first it does look like, you know, the characters call it an oil slick. And it does look like just a floating ball of garbage or sludge. But the way it moves and the way it's really once it kills that first girl that it kind of like... I don't even know. It's like it's acid tentacle sludge arms, like rip off skin and then contort it. And then it's just gone into this flat disc. It's it's the perfect kind of like Lovecrafty and creepy where you can't even it's it's a little bit too otherworldy to even put a notice of why it's creeping you out so much. But everything that you know about the way the physical world works isn't present there. And it's unnerving i'm glad you mentioned lovecraftian because there's something this is also tags into the thing which we talked about this month amorphous non-anthropomorphic aliens really or you know aliens monsters whatever uh really really creep me out and this was yeah. one that i saw this before the blob remake i highly recommend the blob remake because it, it kind of expands this concept to a whole movie this the idea of this thing it doesn't have eyes it doesn't have seemingly anything but instinct it, it just moves and moves and moves and it's basically unkillable well and they they don't even have the tools the other thing that's very scary is they don't even have the tools to try to kill it if they wanted to they are just so people with just swimsuits on a raft 
Yeah. And it's so out of the league. Yeah. And, and the swimsuits could not hide anything because they are very 80 swimsuits. So it's not like anyone has a pocket knife in those and you can tell. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> this this movie is like populated with like a group of teenagers that were specifically bred for 1980s horror movies. And the reason you haven't seen them in any other movies is that they were bred in the lab and those clones only lived until about 1991. And then they died. Yeah, they had they had their expiration dates, and uh, you know you can't extend expiration dates. Everyone no. knows that. But yeah, they serve their purpose adequately and above and beyond in this movie. And so, what do you think about the the scene where we're going to talk about the the molesting scene? Yes, because I'm weirdly for it. Whereas usually I am out too of, out, out of out of the blue sexual assault kind of stuff in this movie in these movies really really pisses me off because it's very cheap. And I think it's cheap and dirty in this, but in a fun way where uh, it's just, it's like fun and ugly and it doesn't go far enough for me to like, I don't know. So here's why I like it. Uh, Not because of what you just said, but because in its own way, this short horror movie is, subverts a lot of 80s movie tropes. The girl that we, the nice girl that would normally be the final girl in movie, in 80s horror movies, she dies first and almost immediately. The nice guy who can't get the girl turns into a fucking monster who, the quote unquote bad girl who's probably, you know, the slut in these movies, she's asleep and desperate for her life and he takes, the nice guy takes advantage of her as a way to subvert these horror movie archetypes that basically existed by this point. I like it because again, it's, it's, it's nice girl, nice guy, bad guy, bad girl. Like that's, that's the four characters and you don't have time to get to know them beyond that. And you have the, the final girl who dies immediately. And you have the nice guy that you think you're going to be rooting for to save the day, molest a sleeping girl and then be a complete cocky asshole. Like, he basically uses her as bait and then swims for shore. And then you actually are, like, on the blob's side at the end yep. of the movie. Yep. I, I, lo- I love that. Especially in a modern context because uh, the nice guy thing is so prevalent now. Yeah. Where especially internet dudes and nerds that had trouble dating in high school, like – those guys think that, you know, the, this friend zone exists that like if I'm nice enough, I should – I kind of – I've earned yeah. it to get in her pants. And this guy has basically just gotten so frustrated playing the nice guy uh, that he, you know, he reveals his true colors. And I think that that makes people uncomfortable because it's like, no, he was he was, he was was just supposed to be the sweet and nerdy guy. And it's like, yeah. well, the, the jock at least cares about consent. <laughs> yeah, I mean – well, from what we see, <laughs> it's the yeah, it, it definitely is like a shot at the nice guy myth, which is he's nice as long as there are consequences to his actions. The second there's not, they're on this raft. No one. I mean, he he feels like he can do whatever he wants. And instead of thinking about self-preservation, uh, he decides to take that opportunity to take what he thinks is his. And the other reason I give it a complete pass, and I, I do mean a complete pass in this movie, I agree is that there is no fucking way, there's no reading of that where he is supposed to be a nice guy. This is not us going and looking at it and, and saying, you scamp. <laughs> yeah, in the 80s, they thought this was funny, and now we're reading it as he was actually a subversion of the nice guy trope. I don't think there's any fucking reading of this movie, 
even at the time where he was a good guy who, oh, look, he's getting his kicks. And if you did think that, that doesn't make any sense for what happens next, where he leaves her to die and then is like, I'm getting away from you, like in the classic horror movie trope of don't ever say that, you asshole. I don't think there's a fair reading of this movie now or at the time of its release where that was supposed to be hijinks. Yeah, and also this was an era where Return uh, or Revenge of the Nerds existed. The idea of, you know, the nice guy being a creep and that being entertaining, that was prevalent at the time. I, I Yeah, that yeah, that existed, but I definitely don't think I don't think there's a reading where it's supposed to be for this movie. Oh yeah, I'm saying that it's even more important because it's an older movie. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's the only segment worth watching in Creep Show 2. Basically, uh, if we do anything today, I would say you could cut that from the movie and just have its own little little short film. Yeah, or add it to the first Creep Show. Well, yeah, if you, if you really do own Creep... F- what? I really hate the framing segment from Creep Show 2, too. Like, I don't like any part of Creep Show 2. I don't, I don't even remember it. It's an animated Crypt Keeper, and it's like the oh. worst possible version of the Crypt Keeper, because he's not funny like the HBO version, and he's not imposing like the, the Amicus uh, Brit- uh, British one. So... <laughs> Yeah, if you own it on DVD, uh, just break off the parts of the DVD that have the other segments so that you don't even have to worry about it. Just yeah. crack just, them right off. Yeah, that works. It definitely works. Um, use it use a really fine chisel, though, because you don't want to lose, like, the first or last minute of this. Definitely. I mean, you have, you have a chisel. <laughs> Who doesn't? I mean, how do you think I got these abs? I'm, I'm just like, you know, I'm purposely not talking, so there can be a good silence here. You just want revenge from last week. <laughs> revenge of the nerds. Revenge of the nerds. Okay. All right. What do you guys love next? to watch? Dude, we're never doing revenge. F- fuck that movie so yeah. hard. Like, I really, I really hate that movie. Yeah, movie I know close. it's really trendy to hate that movie now, but I, I hate being the person who's like, no, I thought it was gross 15 years ago, but I did. And it wasn't funny either. I don't know. Like, it's not. I don't think there's a good argument for, well, I was laughing so hard I missed the rape. It's also not funny. So, who the fuck likes that movie? Yeah. Rapists. Oh, yeah. Nice guys. <laughs> yeah. The the protagonist from The Raft. Yeah. True. The Blob likes The Blob likes it. Wait, how do we... Do we know how The Blob feels about consent? Because The Blob might be a better person than uh, the, the nerd in this movie. I mean, he's just hungry. Yeah, he's just hungry. He just wants to chow down and some Everyone's got to eat. <laughs> they they went to his watering hole. That's true. That's true. Yeah. There was even a sign. We see that raft is it. probably like a serving plate to him. Yeah. <laughs> the little he's like, sign. this is consent. <laughs> <laughs> um, I love. Yeah. He's like, this is consent. As soon as you enter this pond, <laughs> there's one dinky rusted metal sign. That sign at the end of it. I love that because it's not like it's telling you something that you already knew. It's also like implying that this is just like a cruel and awful universe that nothing good can survive in. I love that last little little ironic shot. I think I think the message is clear. It's cool to follow the rules. It's cool to follow the rules. Yep. I, actually that's kind of the it's kind of it's kind of the message of of the next segment I want to talk about if you want me to and all horror movies. Yeah, pretty much all message horror movies which is like what the traditions that they came from. Creep show and Tales from the Crypt uh, were both inspired by old EC comics, which were these sort of uh, bloody, uh, gory uh, horror comics that would have sort of uh, ironic endings and characters, villainous characters would get their 
their comeuppance. And uh, yeah, it's it's a strange uh, thing that like I've never read an EC comic, but my favorite type of horror movie is directly inspired by them. And I love the Tales from the Crypt TV show as well. But um, that's basically a, a reboot of the Tales from the Crypt movie and the, the comic book series. And I want to talk about the last segment from Tales from the Crypt. And I recommend all of Tales from the Crypt and all of Vault of Horror. Both of them are... And seconded, as I mentioned. I really recommend the Scream Factory Blu-ray of this. They have the uncut version of Vault of Horror in it. The regular DVD does not have the uncut version of Vault of Horror. But anyways, no. Tales that from the That was Cri- the message you sent me, frankly, at one in the morning a few Saturdays ago. <laughs> Don't buy the DVD! Yeah. All caps. <laughs> it was like the end of Invasion of Body Snatchers. But yeah, the, the segment I want to talk about is called Blind Alleys, which is a pun, uh, a pretty literal pun. Um, and it is about- For both this, words, by the yes, way. Yes, for both words. <laughs> so it's about this asshole headmaster of a institute for the blind, basically a retirement home for these blind men. They This blind headmaster comes in with his dog. Well, he's not blind. Oh, sorry. <laughs> this headmaster comes in and with his dog- and headmaster of the blind. <laughs> headmaster of the blind. Yes, uh, you know, you know how blind people have masters. But um, I think it's, I think it's for these men can't are old enough that they can't take care of themselves, or you know, they're, they, they're wards of the state. Um, I mean, they can tell how expensive a painting is by touching it. I <laughs> think they're fine. <laughs> so it's got some really fantastic performances by these these actors that are. Um, uh, some of them are actually blind and some of them are just actors. The headmaster comes from a military background and he's all about cutting costs. So the food gets shittier and they start uh, freezing at night and actually someone dies from, I believe, pneumonia, right? Yep. Yeah. Uh, one of the people dies from pneumonia because, you know, he asked for more blankets and more heaters and it, they, the headmaster ignored it. He was cutting costs while he was drinking Chianti and eating fancy meals in his office like he's rub i mean i guess he's not really rubbing it in their faces um he's rubbing it in their face well i don't know he's rubbing it in their noses yeah it's not like he's hiding he's not hiding it from them and he's not uh mad when they come into his office he's not like oh it just smells like a fancy chicken dinner it's actually (laughs) no and he like yeah he has no shame about it he's like very military like this is i'm i'm the boss here and that's what bosses get yeah and if you wanted to, if you wanted to eat this, you shouldn't have gone blind. <laughs> and <laughs> that's that's your punishment. Um, it really is like this is my favorite segment from Tales from the Crypt uh, with the monkey paw being a very close second. The monkey paw one is so fucking funny. Yeah, but I feel like this is the laying it on as thick as possible that something bad needs to happen to this guy. Yeah, it's a rebellion story, yeah. essentially, which I think we're going to have a month, uh, a month about animal rebellion movies. And it yep. reminds me of it, it reminds me of, you know, any sort of movie about humans, animals, whatever, uh, rebelling where, you know, there's a, a sense of. You know, righteous indignation. There's there's a, a sense that there's great injustice, and you can't work within the system to get what you want because all they can do, they go in and they peaceably ask that you know their 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 food be restored, and then they go in peaceably and they ask for medical attention, and they ask for all this all this stuff that he's just like neglectful to provide, or you know altogether just doesn't. Yeah, and they're not looking for like nuance. It's this is basic a, food and shelter. And I think I think it's because, at least in the context of the movie as a whole, 
this is the worst thing that happens to anyone. Maybe as part of like 1972 horror, they're trying to underline like, look, shit's going to get really bad for him. I want to be very clear why it's happening to the audience. Yep. And it's total. It's totally justified in my mind because <laughs> this guy's a piece of shit. But he's yeah. cutting costs and stuff basically just to impress his bosses. It's not like the, the you know, the NHS of Britain is, is going under. And he's like, I'm sorry, guys. This is all I have. He's unapologetic about it. He's keeping his rations high. Yeah. And he did buy an expensive painting. Like, it's as suspect as it is that they could tell it was an expensive painting by touching it. Fuck you. Yeah. Why would you need to buy an expensive painting for Why would your you buy any painting? Yeah, first of all, who's going to appreciate it? You only. <laughs> yeah. And second, uh you're turning off the heat for 12 hours a day. Yeah. It, Sell the goddamn men. Two yeah. old men. You know old people, they have such a great time uh, retaining their body heat. Old people yeah. never talk about being cold all the time. Yeah. Um uh, and he does kind of throw the blind thing in their face too as like a special dig that he gives them where he knows they're like helpless. what yeah, just go to bed. When it's dark, what are you going to do? You're blind. Yeah, they're, exactly. Like, how are you going to entertain yourself? Which is actually the dumbest fucking thing because what would it matter if it's dark out? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he's like, like they can entertain themselves at – yeah, he he's not even trying to like understand the people that he's managing. Yeah, he's got no no ability to to empathize, sympathize, whatever with them. He's he's yeah. just completely completely treating them like grunts who just have to deal with it. And also like these these people, their choice is to be here or to be homeless pretty much. That's the way I understood it. cuz uh, the fact that nope, they don't have families visiting them or they're not like they're getting food packages from outside that he's stealing. Like it's, it seems and it's very hard to make money when you're blind, especially I would imagine in Britain in the seventies, he deserves everything he gets. And uh, yeah, what he gets is they trick him into going into the basement. They lock him in one closet, lock his dog in an adjacent closet and for several days, they're locked in there. They're both locked in there, the dog and the man. And at first, I was like, oh, fuck, are they going to make him eat the dog or something? And I was like, oh, I, I thought they were going to make the dog eat him. Yeah, they, which they kind of do. Um, kind and, of, but it's, it's, I did not, even when, even when they constructed the alley that led from one door to the other, I did not see the twist coming, even when you see the razors. Yes, 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 yes. So he, there's a. I'm jumping ahead. Go ahead. They construct this this obstacle course, and yeah, there's a razor section that he just cuts himself on. Um, There's some really great seventies technical art blood. Very, very, very narrow, and he just basically has no no choice but to continue through. And then they finally release the dog who's been starving for days, and the, the dog attacks him, and he runs away. And then the short cuts away without showing us the true true brutality of it but we can assume that he uh was cut up to death yeah because he's right about he's he he runs back to the part that is narrow and has razors that he was barely able to squeak through and then he looks back and you see the dog jump and then it cuts away so in your mind the the dog tackled him into hundreds of razors yep it's a pretty it's a pretty fantastic segment and it The um, dog probably didn't fare well either. I, yeah, I mean that dog's that dog's tasted blood. You can't just let him out now. <laughs> he's got, he's also he's been eating a person like uh if Ravenous is a documentary. Yeah. Right? <laughs> yes. Also, here so here's the part that actually makes me super sad about the this short and the ending to it. 
They couldn't see it. Oh, yeah. They probably would have got so much satisfaction from seeing it happen. Yeah, they just, but they got, all they got to hear was like the sounds of meat getting chewed through. Yeah. And what's funny, I swear to God, this is going to, this might sound a little offensive. We can determine that and then cut it if necessary. But this actually happened while I was watching it is because they put up the mesh doors and he's walking through the screens and I didn't understand what, what he was doing or the mesh walls, like that they were kind of like, uh, like screens. And at first I'm like, why are they doing this? And I'm like, oh, so they can see what's about to happen to him. And then I'm like, oh, <laughs> nope, that's not it. You're just as bad as him, Aaron. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that's, that's, that's Tales from the Crypt. It's got all of the segments have a sort of um, brutal, ironic ending where, where uh, unjust men meet maybe unjust ends. But uh, regardless, unjust men meet a violent end. It's pretty satisfying in the sense of it raises your your hair. It raises your your sense of righteous indignation, where you're like you just want to revolt and take down the oppressors. Yeah, it's a satisfying segment in that regard. That's a great example of a horror anthology, both uh, Tales from the Crypt and Vault of Horror, where everything's kind of batting almost the same average, and this one stands out a little bit more. Like you said, they're morality tales. But they're satisfying morality tales where the the people that bad things happen to are worth your ire and the clever way they subvert your expectations of how they're going to get their comeuppance is also a lot of fun. So, yeah, definitely, definitely check both of those out. Yep, yep, yep. So, Aaron, uh, what do you have for us next? <laughs> so, next one we have is a movie I actively, for the most part, dislike. Uh, tales, much like Creepshow 2, uh, Tales uh, from Halloween, which is from last year. It's it's kind of weird. It does 10 segments, which is too many uh, because, like we talked about at the beginning with the Twilight Zone opening, it's hard to do effective seven-minute horror. And this one doesn't succeed, uh, I would say, eight times out of ten. Yeah, I would go like six out of ten. I, I was a little bit more friendly to it. But yeah, Tales from Tales from Halloween was very disappointing. And the the budget seemed like like they gave certain directors big budgets and they gave other directors like pennies. It's just so much stuff doesn't work. The And the only other one I like is the uh, Dana Gould one about like competing neighbors instead of Christmas decorations. It's Halloween decorations. I thought that was fun, but it's nothing like it would be a minorly amusing stringing together segment in most other uh, horror anthologies. So, anyway, the one that really works, though, is the last one. It's called Bad Seed, directed by Neil Marshall of Dog Soldiers uh, fame. It's this great, like, Law & Order parody where the, the serial killer on Halloween is just a sentient pumpkin that comes to life and bites someone's head off. And it's one of my favorite types of humor where it inhabits this ridiculous universe but no one is ever bothered by the fact that it's ridiculous. And in this kind of like Law & Order parody, that means the sketch artist is drawing like a crude uh, jack-o'-lantern. Everyone is super serious about it. It's like classic Naked Gun style comedy where no one no one thinks anything is out of the ordinary and behaves as normal. Or um, when the suspect, which is again a pumpkin, goes to hide itself, it hides itself amongst other like a pumpkin farm. Yeah, it has a fun little twist ending where you can see him coming from a mile away, but it's it's still fun in that EC Horror comics where after they kill the first pumpkin, they see 
that there is a factory full of them as far as the eye can see. I like I liked Bad Seed too, not as much as you, Aaron. I liked Bad Seed because of its it had a genuine sense of comedy in its concept, and I liked the idea of these cops just being like harangued by all the awful shit happening in the town. Sort of a a, a attempt to tie everything together, but not really. Um, and it just becomes this sort of serial killer hunt for this evil pumpkin, and uh, it, it's pretty fun in the practical effects. Uh, but it wasn't my favorite just because of – I think it, it, it's the segment that I wish that they had cut other segments and just gave the budget over. <laughs> having 10 segments – having 10 segments sucks because that means that everybody's vision is kind of compromised at a in a movie this, this size budget. So, here's what's interesting though is that you mentioned that it tries to tie some stuff together. So, I saw this for the first time last year and didn't care for it at all. But in trying to think of left field picks for this episode that we were doing and knowing that you were watching it anyways, I was like, you know, I kind of remember watching the Neil Marshall one and liking it. Separated from the movie, I liked it a lot more. I agree that trying to tie up a bunch of shit that I didn't care about in the first place is a waste of my time. <laughs> yeah. But putting but putting it in this milieu of this police department that's dealing with all this craziness and they're still like keeping their shit together and just treating it like a well everyone likes to get crazy on halloween but but not tipping their hand to the fact that they understand that aliens attacking and a pumpkin serial killer is ridiculous i think it works even better i i uh i'm curious if this will be a segment that in later years i go and and watch just um, just the segments that I like from this movie. Part of me wants to, this is totally disrespectful of the filmmakers, but part of me wants to just make like a like eight hour production block of just like every anthology horror segment that I like and, and you know, like liberate them from the movies that I hate. And I would like to take like three or four from this movie and I would take this one along. I think this is a segment I'd like to watch every year, but it's, uh, or every couple of years at least. And it's, it's, uh, but yeah, it, it probably needs to be, too liberated. And I agree the final shot of it is kind of, if not obvious, it's kind of what you you might expect. And it still manages to be kind of funny. Yeah, it's super over the top. It's super obvious. There's no surprises. It's about a killer pumpkin, though. Yeah, a killer it, radioactive it just, pumpkin. It just commits to his premise and then takes it to its logical conclusion. And it's a lot of fun. Yeah. Did you recognize the star of Bad Seed? Yeah. From Proxy. Um, no. What, what did you recognize her from? I, I thought you were talking about Pat Healy from tons of movies that I love, like The Innkeepers and uh, what's that one movie he did where they kept escalating bets? Oh, um, hold on. I'll edit this out. I'll also look up that woman's name. You're not editing this week. You won't do any of this, anything of the sort. What's it called? Raw deal. That's not close. Raw deal. <laughs> it, it's called Cheap Thrills. Yeah, I knew it was two words. Yeah, uh, yeah. I love him in Cheap Thrills. I love him in Keepers. Pat Haley has a fun little, fun little cameo in this. It's as much, you know, the movie is full of fun cameos. I love the 
the segment that John Landis is in because it's just kind of funny seeing, you know, after all these years. A murderer walk free. <laughs> after all these years seeing, you know, John Landis, who's a dude who I, I really respect as a filmmaker and I love. Not as a person. <laughs> Sorry. Probably, probably <laughs> I'm just going to undermine everything you say about John uh, Landis. It's fun to see like a John Landis type or Joe Dante or all these these sort of horror staples in there and, and Pat Healy showing up feels like a sort of a, a seal of approval, which I, I like in these in these movies. So you d- you didn't laugh pretty hard when he goes and hides in the other field of jack o' lanterns. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I would have liked that more if it either needed to be completely obvious or it needed to be kind of a trick. And like they were, their selection of jack o' lanterns was a little too paltry to be tricky in any way. <laughs> Yeah, but it's just the idea of, like, he blends into a crowd and everyone takes it super seriously, or this is what we got from the description, and it's just the most simple drawing of a jack-o'-lantern that you could make, and everyone's like, looks like we got a pumpkin on our hands. Like, I I, I love that. It's very naked gun humor, and it works in a short blip. Yep. So, the one person I wanted to call out as well, her name is Christina Klebe. Uh, she was the, the cop, the, the tough as nails cop. Yeah. Um, and she's, uh, fantastic in this horror movie called Proxy. And, yep. uh, apparently I looked this up. Apparently she was on Criminal Minds. So this is, uh, I guess sort of riffing off of her character. I don't know if she played on Criminal Minds. Well, either a criminal or a mind based yeah. on, you I don't ever watch the show. I like to think we all have a mind, even criminals. I'd like to think that. <laughs> I don't. What do you think about criminals and their minds? Or lack thereof? I want to know more. I don't want to know about their minds. I want to know about their intent. <laughs> their criminal intent. You want, you want, And you want to see how the forces of law and order uh, control that criminal intent, don't you? Yeah. And, like, what are they going to do with their lives? Are they going to work in a supermarket? Or are they going to join the Navy? And then whatever NCIS or CIS means? <laughs> Yeah, and then, you know, they're going to fall under – they're not going to fall under the law and order jurisdiction. They're going to fall under the NCIS, and that's when the other uh, gray-haired white dude is going to come for you. Yeah, and they're going to drive around forever and get those Hill Street blues. (laughs) I watched one episode of NCIS, and it was – I don't know if they're all like this. I'm just going to assume they are. It was pretty fascist because he just um, broke laws – to send someone to Guantanamo Bay. <laughs> uh, friend of the show, Joseph J. Finn, I believe has watched all the NCIS episodes. He used ah, to post about them. That's insane. Yeah. He, he must love it. There's a yeah. comfort that comes from that sort of stuff, but usually my comfort comes from Law and Order or not. Can I, I've never seen uh, an episode of any of those. Oh, really? CSI, Law and Order, NCIS, Laverne and Shirley, none of them. <laughs> I love in Laverne and Shirley when they um they they catch the crooks, like those two yep. perverts that keep trying to break into their apartment. <laughs> yeah, I've never seen Laverne and Shirley. I'm telling you, <laughs> these, joke, these jokes are just gonna keep just keep hitting the wall. Huh? Are are these jokes yet? Yeah, it's okay. Anyway, so my next segment is uh, from VHS two. And it's a segment that Aaron and I agree is the best VHS segment by far. I, I actually think it's the best horror short uh, of all time. Oh really? Yep. I, I I I agree. Sure. <laughs> I think I think that it's, it's it, it we has, don't have time to argue. Yeah, it, it, <laughs> it gives me such a visceral gut punch. I can't think of any other anthology movie 
performing on me and it's it's uh directed by gareth evans so it has gareth evans is the um the guy who who directed both raid movies and marin tau and he's he's known as an action filmmaker so this is sort of an action horror movie but not really because it's not about a character using competence to sort of save the day it's just an it just is like the raid in terms of pure raw intensity and it is about a documentary crew and Investigating a cult, and it's headed by this this mysterious father figure, um, who you might recognize from the Raid movies as well. And this father figure uh, finally relents, lets them in, and they're welcomed into the occult, and they're seeing just a what you'd expect when you walk into sort of like a cult compound. Everybody's trying to play nice. Like there's a classroom and, and that's where all the kids are. And, you know, there's people doing work and keeping stuff clean and everyone kind of dresses the same. And it's a, a very, what you would expect from these, these new religious movements or these cults. And then they get into the office and during the interview, we find out that actually a character, uh, our protagonist, let's say, um, it's almost too short to have a protagonist, but it, 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 our protagonist is a cameraman on the crew. He's been screwing the producer of the crew, who is the wife of the host. So the, the, the host dash journalist, the guy actually performing the interview. Father, or sorry, the host finds out about this and also finds out that the reason that they're, they're talking about it so openly um, is because she is pregnant in the middle of this this interview situation, they're all kind of all the, the team because of this sort of you know two of them are fighting and you know one of them forgot some shit in the car and blah blah. blah. Because of that, they're all spread out throughout the compound. And during this moment, a, a alarm goes off. What is the? There's a trigger. It's just for a the bell. Father. Yeah, bell goes off. And, and I like to just to pause here for a sec. I like to think that the bell was not planned. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, like, like they, they, no one knew when the bell was going to go off. Yeah, it just happened to happen. This bell goes off. Father starts speaking really creepily over this, this voice, this intercom system, and and telling his followers to um, basically commit suicide. And it's all super rehearsed. We only see one person rebelling, and um, we see you know a classroom full of kids drinking, I think like poison milk or something. We see a whole room full of men all standing in a circle holding handguns to their head and um, blowing their brains out we see one of those men running away from another one and he gets shot in the back so it's 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 a jonestown similar situation like you're dying like if you need help dying we'll help you but you're dying regardless and uh yeah it's it's one of the most raw brutal intense um horror shorts i think i've ever i've ever seen horror movies i've ever seen and it's perfect for the format because i don't know if it could sustain that intensity over a 90 minute movie but i would love to see gareth evans try yeah and i don't i don't think that it could because it actually does two things that are amazing uh let me back up a little first vhs is a format that existed before dvd start from the top yeah what is magnetic tape aaron so magnetic tape is like like so scotch tape right you can you can put stuff together with that this is different but it has a similar word the word is tape. <laughs> um, what, wait, what are these two, these two types of tapes? What would you call the the circular thing that they they're wrapped up on? Oh, uh, circles. Circles. Cool. Thank you. Yeah, I want to start really basic, and then we'll fan out. Thank you. I, I don't want don't throw all that crazy terminology at me. I'm not a scientist. 
Now, yeah, now that we've had that baseline, I'm going to fast forward a bit, right back to where we were at the start of this ill-conceived <laughs> bit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and back up again. That's fast forwarding something you can do on VHS tapes. All right, fast forward. Uh, I want the noise. It's perfect. It's like I'm back in 1987. <laughs> well, you could actually just do an actual reverse uh, in uh, in uh, Audacity if you want to throw that in there. Just a editor's no, note. Yours, yours was too good. Oh, thank you. Uh, so anyway, so why why I think this works so well, it actually does two things. It doesn't clue the audience into the fact that this cult is going to be successfully birthing the Antichrist. And it would work almost as well without it. What happens is, is obviously everyone starts killing themselves and it becomes a kind of standard, not standard, but like a hostile type, extreme, grisly horror. You know, everyone's killing themselves in these gross ways and stabbing other people and it's bloody and it's gory. It kind of passes through that for about 10, 15 minutes up until the camera guy realizes that they've taken his uh, girlfriend that he's having the affair with. And the cult leader is standing there, and they he says, it's too late. He's already come. And then the cult leader blows up in this amazing spurt of blood. So you already had this, like, grisly, realistic, extreme horror movie. And then it becomes this crazy, supernatural horror movie for the last third, where now all the people that killed themselves are back as zombies or ghost children. And literally the a horned beast bursts out of his girlfriend in the most amazing birthing it's got wings and a goat head it's like very it's very like it's very uh classic christian satanic or at least you know typical demon imagery and it bursts out of her stomach like below that is like a platform that he is climbing out of it's a it's an amazing shot and the 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 table also the table doesn't have like a, a curtain on it it's a really great special effects shot because it's uh the table is just a metal table like there's nothing yeah. underneath it and there's no obvious special effects trickery it's just a basically like a minotaur looking fucking thing just crawling out yeah. of a corpse and it's got covered in gristle and it's fur it's really gross it's so good and it's it's just a great so then he runs out of the building and that's when you see all the supernatural elements that have taken over that they brought about the apocalypse and everything that he was seeing at first is now flipped on its head and you get the supernatural horror movie. And then when he finally escapes the building, the the beast runs after him, wrecks his car and he wakes up and there's the beast's head, the goat head saying, Papa, it's this first. It's like this weird paranoid dread inducing horror film. Then it's this grisly extreme horror film. And then it's this balls out kitchen we talk about kitchen sink then it's kitchen sink supernatural anything goes and then it ends with a fucking joke it's amazing yeah it's it's everything that i love in horror movies for one it's got a creepy cult two the creepy cult's beliefs are real three uh it's got a really terrific siren and for i think maybe silent hill beat this into me but for some reason sirens are really interesting to me like even I'm, when i was a I'm, kid, I'm, I'm really surprised that's your number three yeah it's a weird thing like even when i was a kid and they would play the tornado sirens every tuesday i like loved it because it's just creepy and cool yeah it's got uh zombies in it but not typical sort of just like i'm gonna you know contagion zombies they're like uh they're drones for this this you know apocalyptic event uh it's end of the world narratives but not your typical end of the world narratives 
And I, I love I love all of that in a in a horror movie and the fact that it, it kind of taps through all of those. And also it's got um it's got it's Lovecraftian horror, which gets tossed yep. around a lot, but it's Lovecraftian horror in the sense that this this event is so much bigger than all of the characters that it uh they can't possibly comprehend what is going on. And uh yeah, it's 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 just a clusterfuck of things that i love (laughs) it's also it's also gruelingly intense but fast it is oh yeah it's very fast but it almost feels longer just because we've talked before i think on the show how evil dead 2 is just almost like exhausting in its horror because it just grabs you and then it drags you through this house uh this movie does that in such a short period of time where it's literally dragging you through the compound uh, by your shirt collar because that's where the cameras are. And to your point about how, like, it's so zoomed in that you can't see the forest or the trees because there's this whole uh, much larger world thing happening around our protagonist that we're not seeing. That also is a great use of, like, using the way that the it's filmed, which is all – you know, found footage and first person cameras as like almost a meta narrative on what they're talking about, where you're so zoomed in into these three people having a domestic issue that you're missing the fact that there's all these other things happening outside of frame that are way more important. So safe Haven. Um, And again, actually from a series perspective, like safe Haven is the obvious standout. But if Safe Haven didn't exist, there probably we'd be fighting over like four VHS segments between the first two to pick just because they're really, really good. Yeah. Well, so thank you, Safe Haven. Yeah. In in the uh, in the nine segments that make up the first two movies, there's only one that I would call a stinker and the rest are like good to great. Yeah. And I, I, I really, really like all of – I think the best of all of them is, is Safe Haven. I think that um, one is – the first movie is overall more consistent. Yeah. And two has more highs and lows. So, I think two has like the worst segment in it and the the best. Yeah. One – although although I will say one actually has the only segment I dislike, which is the Ty West segment – Oh yeah, actually that's the worst thing. <laughs> Who is which is probably also my favorite director of uh the nine the nine sh- people that direct these shorts did the my my least favorite VHS segment. Yeah, he also did an awful segment in ABCs of Death called Emma's for Miscarriage and it's like 30 seconds long. Oh, sounds it, sounds funny. It's fucking terrible and it's no. so weird cuz I think Ty West is a goddamn genius and he just uh doesn't do great with the the short format. So, yeah, we were, we're kind of running out of time. We did want to mention a couple other ones that we're not going to get into too deep here. Not that we've really got into deep on, on many of them, but just a couple ones that we considered that are definitely worth your time. Um, I had Lover's Vow from Tales of the Dark Side, which is the final segment uh, featuring James Ramar, uh, who uh, makes a promise to a gargoyle that he will never tell anyone that he sees the gargoyle, then goes on to uh, fall in love with a woman he meets in the alley the same night. They have two kids, and then 10 years later, he wants to be completely honest with this woman and tells her that, hey, just FYI. Uh, I met a gargoyle, killed my friend, never told you about that the night we met. I want to be honest. And she goes, why would you tell me? And turns into a gargoyle, as do their kids. And then he, uh, she kills him. And they go be gargoyle statues. 
Uh, yeah, I love Lover's Vow. Lover's Vow I do is, too. it's based on a Japanese folklore and it's, I watched this month, of, among all the other anthology movies I watched this month, I watched Kwaidan, which includes uh, Woman in the Snow, which when I started watching it and I was like, this seems familiar. And I realized, uh, basically this segment is indirectly a remake of Woman, Woman in the Snow. Uh, Lover, but Lover's Vow it really stood out for me just because uh, it's got great special effects. The gargoyles all look great. Oh, the transformation um, scene too at the end is just phenomenal. Uh, my girlfriend thinks the the gargoyles look funny, um, but I think they're a great. little bit when they when they talk or the kids. Yeah, the kids are a little goofy. They're, they're kind of gremlin gremlin looking. Which I don't know if that was intentional or not, but uh, and I'll tell you what the movie agrees that Lover's Vow is the best one because the movie itself explicitly says you save the best one for last when talking about this segment. And if Debbie Harry says it, you know it's right. Yeah. Uh, the other thing I really like about it is that I didn't see the twist coming. Like first time I watched it, I uh, you know obviously you know that he's going to tell someone about the gargoyles and there's going to be something that ruins his happy life. I had no fucking idea it was going to be the fact that she was the gargoyle because why would you think that? Why would be- you think that beautiful Radon Chong doesn't look anything like a gargoyle? If you just think about it logically, I get the point is that he broke the vow, but it's he it's not a secret to to the gargoyle. Yeah, it's some sort of – well, she seems really pissed off. That's why she keeps calling so him an angry. idiot and shit and she actually has to murder him because I think that like this this vow is above her. Once he breaks this vow, her ability to hide from him and everybody else is gone. Yeah, it's like some sort of weird spiritual pact that allows her to be human. I like they don't dwell too much on it. There, there would be no way to explain it that wouldn't seem ridiculous. As it stands, there's only That's- one part of the the – Short that I dislike, which is one line of dialogue, which is so powerfully cringeworthy that it's like one of those lines that I wanted to turn off the TV for a second and just get my uh, pace and maybe hug everyone that's involved with the movie, which is the, we going to make this little bastard legitimate or what? Oh, yeah. James, James Remar is very, but the movie reacts well to that because she's just kind of like, uh um um and then he's allowed to repropose again <laughs> yeah it just she's very it's forgiving just such it's such a thud of uh, e- even if it you can say it works in character fine but it's it's just one of those lines where you just feel embarrassed yeah. to your core yeah it's, it's it's he's supposed to be kind of a goofball and he's not really supposed to be smooth with the ladies. I get the sense that this gargoyle is bound to him somehow. This The, the, the reason that the, it works as a tragedy and it works as sort of an ironic twist is that he uh, and his family, he has two kids and he's married to James Remar, he's married to Radon Chung, who's uh, also in Commando. And she, uh, they have this beautiful sort of family and we get like a little, just a little peek at how happy they are before it all comes tumbling down and and that's why she calls you and it calls him an idiot and i'm like yeah yeah you're a fucking idiot you shut ruined, your mouth you ruined everything burn that box with the weird gargoyle action figure in it that's probably just a uh a, a sculpture that they used for the stan winston studio or whatever or like disney's gargoyle action figure <laughs> like get rid of that thing and forget that ever happened like you you're good it's a good lesson don't tell your spouse anything. Yeah, keep secrets from your spouse until the day you die. It's a it's a really great short because it has a nice little ironic twist. If it had just been at the end, the gargoyle comes back and says like, "Now I have to take your family back," and it wasn't, yeah, that would have been dumb. That would have been a dud. 
I don't yeah. see how that could have worked, but they it makes you feel silly for not seeing. No, I will marry your family. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it does make you. Yeah, you're you're right. It makes you. It's one of those I never saw that coming, and I'm an idiot for not seeing it coming because it really was right in front of your face the whole time. She shows up seconds after the gargoyle. Yep. Yeah, I, I, I really loved uh, I loved Lover's Vow. All right, take us home. So, our final segment is uh, from Three Extremes, which has kind of a funny story that I can tell in 10 seconds. Three Extremes is a multi-country a- anthology, and it includes – it was released in America as Three Extremes, but it's actually a technically a sequel. It's sort of a missing in action situation where they thought the second one would be a bigger hit. So, they released it first. Then when Three Extremes came to America, it got the dumbest title in the entire world, which is Three Extremes 2. Six Extremes. Yeah. (laughs) So, they kind of – I'm talking about the one that was released in America as Three Extremes with Takashi Miike, Park Chan-wook, and Fruit Chan. So, um, Japan, Korea, and China, respectively. This is a movie that I've I've liked since high school, but recently it kind of clicked to me how much I liked it. Because I think I'm a bit more flexible in my tastes now. Uh, and Cut is Park Chan-wook's segment about a nice, friendly director who's a family man. He's successful. He's apparently one of the biggest directors in Korea. Um, he is handsome he kind of has a perfect life and one day he goes home after you know shooting a movie and he is abducted by a former extra of his that's worked on all of his movies and he uh, abducts him and his wife and uh, a little girl it he basically holds them hostage and he says i believe that every five minutes he's going to cut off a finger yep and every five minutes, so his wife is bound and gagged and, t- and her fingers are glued to a piano. So every time, this is like, this is very indicative of the, the short as a whole. Every time that he slams this axe, this this movie prop axe down on um, her fingers, to chop them off, it makes a loud piano noise, which is funny because in a movie, they would use that sting as music that's not in the movie forget the term um diegetic yeah non-diegetic yeah so it it makes you know diegetic non-diegetic or whatever the other way around and it's it's uh so it's kind of a funny that's basically the movie in a nutshell because it's kind of flashy and uses a lot of effects that are very early 2000s like it kind of has like david fincher style like free-floating fly on the wall style camera work but it's also got park chan wook's like beautifully lush sort of colorful compositions it's also great because if you wanted to know what uh dr seuss would make as a horror short i think it would look something like this yeah it's it is and it is just shock 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 i think the only shock that doesn't work is the final one where he goes so crazy that he he actually chokes his wife to death after she liberates them uh definitely didn't work for me because i had to look up what he was doing i thought the the twist was that this was not his wife. It was the girlfriend that he was talking about that he was having an affair with and that he had made a mistake and that he was killing her and saying, sorry, my wife can't know. I just love my wife. So the twist was, is that he the extra did not kidnap his wife. He kidnapped his girlfriend and he was removing the evidence of the girlfriend before he went home to his wife. Wow. And I kind of realized because all the dialogue makes sense that way. That's true. That would have been that would have been a better twist than um, the actual one. But and then when it kind of just ends, I was like, "So wait, so then where was the wife?" And then I had to go to Wikipedia, 
And I'm like, oh, he just went crazy and got confused? Yeah, it's, right. a, it's a stupid way for the movie to end. But anyways, the, the, the movie is a basically the – it's sort of uh, a comedy at times, even though it covers some of the bleakest territory ever. The extra will put on little shows to sort of prove a point. And like there's like a straight up comedic moment early in the movie where he's just going through all of his costumes that he wore on set. Like he's wearing flippers. He's wearing a military uniform. He's wearing – he's like – and there's another sequence where he dances. So the yeah. extra has gone. The extra has gone so crazy that he he admits that he um, murdered his wife before he came down here. Couldn't kill his son. And we find out that actually the little girl bound and gagged to the couch is actually his son. And he is trying to get um, the director, who is this pure and sweet guy, who was actually very nice to him on set. This isn't a this isn't a morality tale at all. Actually, this is an no. inversion of the morality tales that we'd see in the other movies. This this is the je- this is the jealous uh, person who's like, you have such a great life. I bet I can peel back your perfect layers and make you a monster like me. Yeah, it's a reverse saw, where he's like, I'm going to put you through the ringer to make you into a monster. Yep. Uh, um, and I, I really love that because he basically, um, the, he starts off, the director does all the smart things, take all the money and there's, you know, there's, there's jewelry in the other room, take all the money. If the guy asks for something, he just does it. Um, when he says to kill the kid, he immediately is like, nope. And he said, and then he, he asks him to like humble himself. He does so immediately. He confesses to having an affair. He, you know, he, he tries to do anything he can to save his wife and he's very very smart about it um and i really respect that because the killer has just it's like he's, he's just trying to destroy this man he doesn't care he's not gonna play by any rules so can i ask you a question and we can kind of end on this if you want do you think so the part that he finally follows the his rules like really to the t and berates his wife and outlines all the problems in their marriage in like a very cruel and like sadistic way. Like he's definitely not holding back. He's doing everything that he can to save his wife at that moment while still really, really making an uncomfortable admission of affairs he's had and that what he thinks of her and what their marriage actually is right now. Kind of like the worst version of, I guess, anyone that would say something like that to you. Like, that is a great horror moment just as like a, on, as a human being who's been in relationships. That idea that what the person thinks of you is terrible. I guess I want to ask, do you think in that moment he was committing and acting and all of everything that he said was true and maybe you could say he didn't care because he still wanted to save his wife? Or do you think that that was acting and he, and he made it up it's hard for me to tell because he definitely is committing adultery I, I the extra is the one who brings it up right yeah so the extra knows about this he's not just he, fo- he followed her yeah so the extra knows that both of them are having affairs i don't know because i think that that's what's interesting about the short is that he the, the actor is forcing the director to become an actor and he become the director Yep. He's so frustrated with being the, the, the low guy in life and sick of these rich these rich guys, you know, getting to be morally clean and keep their hands clean. And he thinks that, you know, inherently being poor makes him morally compromised. You know, obviously he's a crazy person, so like you can't trust everything he says. I think that it's a little bit of both. I think that he's very likely actually having an affair or had an affair in the past, and he is but he is blowing all these details up 
I think I think you can't tell. I think that's the beauty of the segment is you can't tell like what's real and what's not. And that's that's sort of the movie's treatise on performances because he has now become – he's fully become the actor for the the, the extra has become the, the – the extra actor has become the director and the director has become an actor for him. He's completely powerless in this situation. Yeah, that's a, that's a great explanation, a uh, great way to look at it. I agree 100%. Uh, I think that's kind of the the perfect way to end this whole thing on. Yeah, I, I think, and the reason it's my honorary pick is not just because I wanted a number four; it's because the other ones I think are pretty easy sells. Um, this one is, if you don't like flashy camera work, you're gonna hate this one. This one is very very self aware. So if you you hate self aware horror movies, you're gonna hate this one. It's a home invasion movie, so you might hate this one. Like it's it's a it's a really really weird pick. If you um, hate watching things in standard definition, you're going to hate this one <laughs> because it's, it hasn't been released in an HD version, as far as I could tell. Yeah, my D- my DVD was is a little muddy looking. Um, yeah, even uh, renting it on Amazon, that it only had SD and it was it looked it looked very SD, if you know what I mean. Which th- this is a movie that um, this screams is a movie that re- for HD. Yeah, because it looks like a Fincher movie. It's very clean and digital and beautiful. Um, but yeah, it's it's a movie that I think, uh, like I said, it's an honorary pick because I think it's not for everybody, And I, but it's fascinating nonetheless. Well, this was, yeah, this was a fun experiment. It's us not doing a movie and trying to kind of briefly talk about almost like almost half give recommendations and then hopefully dive deep in our own way. And I think we actually kept the time down reasonable so i hope you enjoyed this um i cannot imagine a world where we don't end up doing trick or treat or at least one of the vhs movies or maybe even uh like the original creep show which we didn't talk about any segments of uh as its own episode at some time in the future drilling down talking about um couple segments seemed like a like a fun idea to do hopefully you enjoyed it yeah. listener um and also we would love your feedback uh we'll have the link and such at the end of the show but we would love your feedback on what you think of our first off format episode yeah because we do have a couple ideas for some other ones yep. uh, so so if you like this uh let us know if you didn't you can also let us know and tell us how you pronounce biopic because it's been bothering me the entire episode um, okay anyway so enough of that that's a good bookend yeah we did a bookend bookend. it was totally totally purposeful we've never done a bookend i just like to think that we were both fuming about biopic i've never read a book biopic (laughs) yeah Uh, um yeah so uh we're not gonna get to but next next week we're back we're back to our theme months uh november is going to be 90s nostalgia november and uh our first one is going to be returning fan favorite rick kelly and he's so great we're going to talk brian adams with him when we talk about robin hood prince of thieves (laughs) (laughs) aaron what uh what else do we have planned for our nostalgia month november yeah so then the following week we're going to be talking about uh the beloved matthew perry selma hayek movie fools rush in Followed by uh, Elizabeth Lund joining us to talk about the Super Mario Brothers movie and then finishing off the month with Tom Peeler and Rescuers Down Under. And we'll talk more about the work that they all do uh, as we get closer to their episodes, but it's going to be a huge change of pace for us. And I'm I'm super excited, especially because I want to see a lot of these movies again. The whole The whole idea of this month is to talk about movies that we've loved that we probably haven't seen in at least 10 years. 
Yeah, it's, this is going to be a test of the the whole show, I think. Um, because <laughs> Well, it, I, I don't want to put that much pressure on it. I think this will be a test of the show in a, in a few specific episodes, and you guys will kind of get to see what, what, what we do when we're outside of our wheelhouse. We'll be doing um, you know, an animated movie that's not a dark sci-fi movie like Fantastic Planet. We're going to be doing an actual like kids movie. We're going to be doing uh, a romantic comedy, which we've never done anything approaching that so far. So, yeah, I think I'm excited for... And then Cosmic Horror and then with Cosmic Super Horror. Mario Brothers. <laughs> and God, Cosmic Horror for Super Mario Brothers. <laughs> the most Lovecraftian of, of video game adaptations. A lot of slime. A lot of slime. Uh, all right. Well, this was a lot of fun. You guys have a happy Halloween. Be safe. And... Uh, Yeah, if my daughter comes to your door, give her tons of candy so that I can eat as much of it as possible. (laughs) Because she doesn't know how to count yet. So, uh, that's – you can just take as much as you want from there. Yeah. She only knows things are wrong when it's gone. Yeah. She's like, as long as there's a lot of candy in there, she probably is fine. She understands some and none. Yeah. (laughs) The longer we can stave off none, the better. Yeah, exactly. All right. Good night, everyone. Good night, everyone. Happy Halloween. Look out, big elephants on parade, here they come, hippity-hoppity, they're here, and they're big elephants everywhere. Look out, look out, they're walking around the bed, on their head, clippity-hoppity, parade, in great big elephants on parade. What'll I do, what'll I do, what an unusual view. I can stand the sight of worms and look at microscopic germs, but Technicolor... Hey folks, thanks for listening to We Love to Watch. If you want to get in touch with us, please reach out to us at either our website, wltwpodcast.com, or our Facebook group, facebook.com backslash we love to watch. And uh, yeah, reach out to us, give us some feedback, give us some support, uh, suggest movies for the show, all that. We are also available on SoundCloud, TuneIn, Stitcher, and iTunes. Thanks for listening.